Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Cast Dice, the podcast that explores the great big wild world of tabletop gaming that exists today. It has been said once or twice, mainly on this podcast, that we're in the middle of a gaming renaissance. There are just too many good games out there that we can spend our hobby time and our hobby dollars on. It can lead to a serious case of not knowing what to play or buy next. And that's the purpose of this podcast. It's to dig into the games that, um, that my guests and I enjoy playing, uh, to talk about big industry events, and to talk to the people that create these games. Now, as many of you know, Cast Dice was born on Halloween. It was the very first episode way back when, a couple years back. Uh, we jumped onto the podcasting scene on Halloween, and as such, Halloween Besides the fact that I grew up in Boston and uh, near Salem, I I've always had a little fondness for the holiday. As it is that magical time of year, so to speak, it is very important that we have an a great Halloween episode for you. And I don't think I could have found a guest to talk about a more appropriate game than this. Uh, now, due to COVID and all the restrictions and lockdowns across the world, I know that many of you are experiencing many different things. Getting solo gaming experiences or just being able to sit down with one or two people if they happen to be in your quote-unquote bubble, if that's part of where you are, um, is... It can be can be hard or uh, sorry, games like that are very important uh, and getting other games, uh, you know, more traditional gaming can be difficult. So tonight's game is exactly, I think, fits all of the criteria of what I've just said. And I'm so excited because it's a new gaming studio. It's a, it's a company that's had been out for a while and have a, a lot of great products, but it's their first foray into gaming. It's a brand new gaming uh, designer, author, and he is joining us today. The game is Don't Look Back. The company is Black Sight Studios, and Matt is the author. Matt, welcome to Cast Dice. How are you, man? I'm great. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate you uh, inviting me to be on. I'm excited. Now, I did just say a little bit in the in the preamble that you have created a solo slash cooperative game, and it is, as the name might imply, don't look back. It's a horror-themed game, and it, it leans into all the great tropes and stereotypes that we would expect from a, a classic 1970s, 1980s, maybe even early 90s horror movie. Uh, am I am I selling this the right way? Is this how you would describe Don't Look Back? Yes, absolutely. Um, and at the same time, it also allows you to uh, play some more maybe uh, some serious types of cinema experience as well nice. in the horror genre. Maybe something a little more along the lines of like Alien. Oh, now you're talking my language. Now, I've heard on another podcast that that happens to be your favorite horror movie. Uh, is that just uh, your favorite horror movie that day? Because that day happened to end with Y and, you know, 15 minutes later it was another one. Or is that still the all-time fave? It's still my all-time fave because a lot of people, when they first watch it or they go back and they think about it, um, sometimes it doesn't cross your mind as being uh, a horror a horror movie. Exactly. In that way, it's a little bit like Event Horizon. You go in expecting some sort of sci-fi experience and you walk out with something yes. very different, uh, yes. especially if you are more familiar with watching Aliens, which is a very different movie, right? 
Correct. Yeah, for sure. Well, let's talk about Don't Look Back. Now, this is a game, and the the core game has just released. You guys, uh, the the pre-orders are out, and the second run is on its way going out the door. Uh, And we will talk about how you can get it in a minute. But with this game, uh, the box itself comes with your plucky group of heroes slash victims, your psycho killer, and we'll get to the different variations that are available in the box, and a great bit of terrain. And of course, that leans into what Black Sight Studios does, because up until this point, they have made some fantastic MDF terrain. I mean, they have entire vaults. Splat, uh, slash space station settings of terrain. They have post-apocalyptic. Um, they have the subway set. I mean, there's all sorts of great terrain that this company already makes, and now they're giving you a way to play on it, right? So can you talk to us a little bit about how Blacksite went from being a terrain company to a game company and how that leans into the great stuff that's in the box? Well, so um, I kind of met the Blacksite guys uh, really kind of early on uh, when they started getting into MDF and I was buying some things for my own tables. Nice. Um, and we just started having some some conversations about the terrain and I play quite a few miniature games and nice. we started having conversations about kind of like about playability. They would they would message me and say, hey, we're, we're thinking about making this, you know, what, what kind of things do you think it might need? Um, sort of grew from there, you know, just uh, like a a friendly terrain talking relationship. And then actually I was looking into making a game and I just asked them real randomly some, some questions about having miniature masters made and the process of editing and publishing. And, and Ben was sort of like, well, uh, we might kind of be getting into that. So let's talk a little bit more about it. So we, Started having some conversations about some games. Um, Don't Look Back was originally just called Slasher. That was like its working title for a while. Nice. Uh, and that was just out of just something that we were talking about that we thought might might be fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just sort of naturally with that was like, hey, you know, if we, we do this, um, we can create the atmosphere we want, you know, with the laser cutters. We can create the terrain that we want to have go along with this and it just sort of evolved from that. Now, there are a lot of great core games out there that come with pretty great terrain to help set up your first games, to help set up the tabletop. But I think Don't Look Back might take the cake for being literally the perfect terrain to play the game right off the bat. You don't have to buy anything else. So when you open the box, you get um, you get a well, you get um, like a storm shelter entrance, um, you get some assorted scatter terrain, and then you get the quintessential lake house slash wooden, you know, cabin in the woods um, that has, uh, I forget how many rooms. Is it seven rooms at the ground floor? Oh, I think it is. I think it might be seven and then it has a, a full attic that yeah. you can access. What's even cool about that is you can lift off the top story so you can, of course, move characters around below. But then if you want the attic, you can remove the roof or the roof comes off in segments so you can just go into certain parts of it um, depending on how immersive slash open you want the terrain to be. And that really does, I mean, having literally just watched a couple of uh, jump scare slash uh, slasher horror movies to prepare for this episode, I was amazed looking at it going... Yep, that's in the game. Yep, that's in the game. 
yep, that's in the game. And all of the things I was thinking were literally the, just the terrain, not even getting into the rules. Um, how much interaction did you have with the Black Sight guys in designing that terrain to make it perfect for your game? Uh, quite quite a bit. So we did a lot of our play testing in um, Tabletop Simulator mm-hmm. because they're so they're in Texas and I'm in Pennsylvania. So we're we're quite a distance apart. Um, and especially with COVID that allowed us to do, you know, interact and do our play testing that way. Um, and it started with sort of building with just generic tiles. And as the rules evolved, we, we wanted to be able to focus on certain aspects of the rules and how could we create that with a building. Um, and it actually started with, I think it was sticky note drawings that we were kind of sending back and forth um, <laughs> over uh, Facebook Messenger and it just sort of evolved that way. And because they have access to the tools that they do, um, it was like maybe a couple hours later and Connor was sending us pictures of a, a prototype cabin that he had literally just cut. And we were able to start playing with it right away, make some make some changes as we went. And it is pre-painted MDF. All you have to do is cut it out and stick it together in the box, uh, which, you know, Oftentimes when you get a new game, there's a lot of preparation that you have to do before you can sit down to play it. But with Don't Look Back, you literally are painting, what, seven models, uh, Mm -hmm. infantry-based models, 32-millimeter models, and you're assembling the train, but you don't even have to paint it. Um, This may be one of the fastest setup to play for any game I've ever uh, even looked at. Was that intentional or was that just a happy coincidence? So we definitely wanted it to be a game that people could get into right away. Um, and sort of the design space for it initially was that with with COVID and like you were talking about earlier, you know, it being harder for people to get together right now. And there are just a lot of people who don't have a gaming store available or a club to go to. Right. We wanted it to be as approachable as possible so if you're you're not as much into the hobbying aspect of it you know you can put your guys together put your cabin together looks great on the table you can start playing and you can run the gamut of from that to because the stuff's pre-painted it's basically primed if you want to go to town and paint even more on the house and do more work to it, you can go to that extreme as well. So it was definitely something that we were interested in um, including in in the box. Everything would be basically ready to go. If we're talking about the killer, if we're, I mean, game, as you said, the working title of this game was Slasher. So clearly there is the, uh, the, the trope of the psychotic killer that you are trying to avoid. Now, if you have, are a fan of the horror movies or books or stories in general, you will know that there's about a million flavors of those. And one of the great things about this game is you have uh, the choice in the core game itself. Your killer comes with a bunch of different parts to make different killers to line up with different scenarios, Uh, let alone if you want to go off and make some of your own using parts from other places. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about how that killer evolved and what's in the box as far as your baddie? Yeah, sure. So, um, when we were talking about the game and, and obviously having a killer in there and we wanted it to be something that, um, would change. So it wasn't always just the same 
the same guy, the same right. creature, the same whatever, uh, chasing you around. We came up with different aspects of the killer. So we have their MO, so how they actually move around the table, um, how they target and choose their victims. We have their visage, so that's like how they look, and that determines kind of how hard they are to drive off, um, what happens when they're driven off, and how they attack and interact with the uh, with the characters. And then they have two traits to further kind of tie them into um, the essence of, of what they are, who they are. And, and this time started making well, and this sure. before we get to, I guess, the miniature itself, as you're leaning into my next question already, why don't I ask you that? And then we'll get to how it represents on the tabletop. Um, everything you just described actually lines into the AI of this game because we've talked about the game being solo or cooperative. No one's playing the killer, the killer is completely um, independently run by the game itself. And depending yes. on all of the things you just described, it behaves differently, right? Yes, correct. Can you explain when, a little bit about how that, how those differences appear when you're playing the games? Because having watched the streams, the killer behaves differently every time I've seen you guys play it, and that's some pretty significant differences. Yeah, so um, one of the goals when, when designing the, the killer to be running off of its own AI was to create something that was simple um, yet robust at the same time. So right. the way that you place the killer is 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 laid out in its uh, in its MO, so how it will be placed, how it will move, who it will target. Um, but there's also a lot of choice that can be left to the players because uh, one of the big things about Don't Look Back is that we want we want you to create the scenes and the moments that you enjoy. Right. So in targeting, a lot of the time you'll end up with the possibility of it being more than one character and you as a player or players can kind of make that choice, um, how you want, how you want it or him or she to engage your, your characters on the table. Now, when you're playing the missions, you can either use the, the killer that they suggest in that particular scenario, or yes. uh, you can randomly generate one mid game so just like the horror movie when the teenagers are uh, you know stumbling into the woods and they don't know quite what they're going to run into you can literally recreate that experience on the tabletop and that was something that we really uh really for me i really wanted to capture was that essence as the player in the atmosphere of not knowing of not knowing um there are these these components called fright tokens mm -hmm. that move around the table and they represent the sounds and the atmosphere and uh, could be creatures running uh, through the underbrush or it could be the killer and you're not sure exactly when or where it will show up. Um, but by randomly generating it, when you do, it's that that surprise, that horror moment of, oh my goodness, what what is this thing coming after us? Mm -hmm. And interacting with the the plots the scenarios when you're randomly generating it you you can't really account for that so you're you're doing what you're trying to do to survive and make it through the night um but you don't know if what you've done until it shows up is going to be beneficial or possibly harmful exactly 
And I love how the fright builds. Uh, it, it adds to the cinematics of the game because, you know, just as in all the stories that we're, we've heard a thousand times where, you know, those quote unquote teenagers or kids are tromping into the woods, they don't care about anything and everything's light and jolly. Uh, but as things go, that that tension starts to ratchet up as, you know, as the fright comes up. And that's one of the aspects of the fright tokens that is just awesome in the game because, you know, it starts out, it, it might be a chipmunk in the woods, as you said, but it might not. And in some of the, the playthroughs I've seen, the killer literally hops out of the woods in turn one. Is that likely? No. Um, usually it, it, it things ramp up. But that killer could come anytime, and so you have to be on your toes from literally the beginning of the game. Yeah, yeah, and and we wanted to also you you sort of touched on it. The scenarios also have a themed killer that comes with it, where all of the aspects of it it's it's mo, it's visage, and its traits are already chosen, and that's designed to really fit in with the the story and the the character of the plot. Um, so again, it, it creates that replayability where maybe one time you play through with, with the Beast of Northwood while you're camping and mm -hmm. you're you're playing with that specific killer, but then the next time you go in, uh, you're rolling it randomly, and it could be some sort of ethereal spirit that's you know grasping people and freezing them and screaming and wailing, and people slowly go insane instead of getting ripped apart in the woods. Yeah. And that is that is actually represented by the miniature in the box. Um, yes. How have you how have you I guess accomplished that? Because that seems like a pretty big ass to try and fit all of those characteristics on one model. Yeah, so we have this um, this really great multi part killer that comes in the game, um, and he has has lots of head options and arm options. Um, and we wanted to try and create a, a body, uh, like torso and legs and things. It was a little bit more agnostic, so it could go kind of any way that you wanted. But with uh, the weapon choices and and the head choices, you end up being able to create um, any of the different types of killers. And then obviously how you choose to paint them can also greatly influence the, the visual impact of that model on the table. And with even though there there is tons of uh, variation there, as you say, there are all the characteristics that you can vary. Um, there are the the set killers that come on the five scenarios that come with the game, which again can be uh, adapted themselves. You also have uh, expansions that are coming out to this, and you have uh, the chainsaw the chainsaw wielding. Um, disgruntled railway worker uh, who's running around uh, as your first expansion and that gives you more scenarios and you also have my personal fave the greys who are you know the 1950s style aliens where you don't just have one killer you've got three of them uh, and as you say they're not just chopping people up as you would with your slasher type of killer they're doing quite different things about grabbing kids out of the woods. Um, can you talk a little bit about how these expansions add to the, the core game and the core gaming experience? Sure. Uh, so each of them is designed to take the core mechanics of the game, the core scenarios, the gameplay that you'll be used to out of the, the basic box and making some changes to them um, that you could, you could add into the core experience or they create um, kind of their own entirely new experience. So Boxcar Willie uh, 
the scenarios play with him play play around a little bit more um, fast paced, tighter tighter space with uh, using. The idea is that you can use the cabin with it, uh, but the characters are locked in there, and it's a short, brutal game. Um, he doesn't go away after after killing a character um, to savor the kill. Um, and then the the greys obviously add in th- three killers instead of one being on the board, mm-hmm. uh, and it also gives us our first. Um, visage that's different than the ones that are available in the core set. So it's it's giving the players the the chance to see kind of where we want to go with the game, being able to add on to the stuff that you could roll randomly. Well, now you have this otherworldly visage um, and using some tokens differently and how the characters can fall victim to the killers is is, is treated a little bit differently with the expansions. That's cool. Now, I didn't realize that one of the scenarios for the chainsaw wielding guy was that you were locked in the house. Of course, that's a horror trope. Um, But I was going to say that it one of the things that I really like about the game is that once the once the killer appears um, and it might you know, be successful and, and take someone, he might be driven off. He may be, he may take someone with him, um, or he may just kill someone and then go, as you say, he disappears usually before, you know, coming back later. And so it doesn't just turn into a Tom and Jerry esque race with all the characters running away. Um, once the killer has appeared the first time, there is that, that constant, Oh no, they're there. Oh, they're gone. Oh, where are they now? Oh God. And then, Again, it comes in with the fright tokens about how they reappear. Uh, that is a really cool mechanic. Uh, how did that come up, and um, how did you develop that? I mean, that that is just that it it leans in so well with the trope and the genre. Um, was that just something that you had from the beginning, or did that come later? So it um, the idea of the fright tokens and this the sort of this unknown. Uh, actually, we're talking a little bit about this before before yeah. we started, but this this sort of came from um, another project that we had that we had started that I can talk a little bit about, uh, and it it's called Anomaly, mm-hmm. and that is and we talked about my favorite movie of all time, mm-hmm. Alien, and the idea with Anomaly was we wanted to create um, the sense of suspense of being confined in a small area. So yeah, so um, this idea of being confined in a small area uh, and trying to survive um, the horrors that are being unleashed mm-hmm. uh, upon your ship or your space station, um, and it's initially gets picked up by the the ship's computer, the ISS, the internal ship's uh, sensor, and it starts out as these anomaly tokens and they're moving about the ship and you're not sure exactly what they are. And that translated almost perfectly to when we decided we wanted to go into a a horror themed game of, of capturing that atmosphere of being somewhere and not knowing um, what's around you. And I was able to kind of take the basic concept we had in that, that initial kind of project, that initial idea um, and grow it into a much larger, much more encompassing and much more interactive uh, experience for the players. Nice. Now it sounds like, as you said, you can take um, the the core concepts of the the more science fiction element of Anomaly 
and you can still play those type scenarios. You can replay Alien, for example, uh, using Don't Look Back. Um, yeah. 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 And I, I, one of the things that I love about the rules is that part of the co-op experience is once the killer jumps on someone, it's not like that person's doomed and everyone else is just trying to run away like rats in a maze. Now, that could be, and we'll talk about the characters in a minute, but they can also try and distract the killer by turning on flashlights, by beating on the side of a house. Uh, and there, you know, something might happen, like a phone might ring or, you know, and if we're talking aliens case, you might play that out on the tabletop where the aliens looking for a, looking at a cat in a, in a cat carrier. But you can replay those out. And um, use there, there's a lot of strategy on trying to, you know, achieve the objective of survival or whatever the objective of that mission is to find the lost person in the woods, for example. Um, how did you how how did playtesting? Because I know you guys playtested this a lot. How did those um, those cooperative collaborative um, tactics sort of come to being in the playtesting environment? So when we wanted to kind of work on the, the collaborative aspect of it, it's sort of tied into how I work on creating a game, which mm. is picking up pieces of the atmosphere or elements that I think that are important. And then those kind of reveal to you other pieces of the game that need to be created. And, and in this case with the characters, I actually had made this kind of like a master list of these are my tropes and these are the characters that I want. Mm -hmm. And these are abilities that I want them to have. Um, and I actually just made them all. So we just made all these characters. Um, we started play testing and very quickly you could see how their different abilities or their items and things that they have, how they interact with each other. And of course, like strategies start to build. Um, but what we found quickly once we left our own, where it was just like the three of us kind of play testing and we sort of opened it up to other people uh, what we are finding is that with anything that you put into the wild, people play differently and they mm -hmm. take your ideas and they do things that you didn't expect. And we played very cooperatively. So it was always very much trying to save our characters, help each other, you know, get to the end of the plot, survive the killer. And we were finding that other people were also enjoying going into these games and um, trying to survive the plot, survive the night, but also create their own kind of uh, final girl or, or last man standing moment. So they would, in the process, use these abilities to actually hinder the other players at the same time, um, which is really cool. And, it is. It, you know, we, we start to get to see a lot of that. Uh, Connor and I, when we stream and when we play test, uh, he really likes Max the Abs, one of the characters, and I really like um, this character, Seth. Seth. And you're playtesting. Seth may or may not have gotten Max killed unintentionally uh, several times. And now <laughs> yeah. it's sort of become this this rivalry. Uh, but it's just the, the way the cooperative elements work was really just designing the characters the way that I wanted them to be mm -hmm. um, and sort of letting them sort themselves out along with you know, the, the rules that, that go along with the plots, the way that the characters can interact with them. So it's sort of organic. Nice. Well, you said the S word. So you got to love them or you got to hate them. You, I mean, most people have <laughs> neck beards in their gaming community. 
You've put a neckbeard in your game, a teenage neckbeard by the name of Seth, whose favorite line is, I think you'll find. Um, let's talk about the characters. I mean, it, it's all well and good to talk about the killers, um, but you know that isn't who you are on the tabletop. You have come up with six playable characters on the tabletop, and while this isn't an RPG, you've leaned into the tropes of the genre so hard and so well that you recognize each and every one of these characters right off the bat. And like, it really does add to uh, just the story cinematics of the tabletop. Let's talk about your six characters, starting with the big man himself. Let's talk about Seth. So Seth, Seth Newton um, is your uh, attractive but annoying nerd with his bow tie and his flashlight and his, uh, his stack of textbooks um, and he spends a lot of his time uh, correcting the other characters. Mm -hmm. uh, he's he's great at investigating. He's got a lot of knowledge, um, but mechanically, he's also the slowest character. So he's always falling behind mm -hmm. when he finds items or things that are useful in the scenario. It's very hard for him to get it where it needs to go. Um, and the killer likes to chase him down kind of easily. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> Now, so I, like you said, you got to love him or you got to hate him. <laughs> I understand his character is standing on a rock. Uh, if, um, I, if, if, I'm, if I remember the story correctly, he, he, he likes to trip on said rock. Yes. So and, and don't look back. There's a mechanic that once once you've started to build uh, terror on your character uh, as the night goes on, um, when they start to move quickly. So in mechanic terms, when you when you take two move actions in a row. Um, you roll, you roll a d20. If and it's less than your character's current terror points, um, then they trip on something. Mm. And Seth is notorious for at just the wrong moment tripping on a rock, um, carrying some sort of item that's important to end a ritual, and he trips, uh, and then we lose because he can't stand up and get to where he needs to drop it off or take it to before the last <laughs> turn of the game. Uh, so he ended up getting sculpted. Uh, in his heroic mighty pose, but he is indeed standing, standing on a rock. He's got one foot up on a rock. <laughs> awesome. I love it. Well, let's talk about sort of the polar opposite of Max and uh, the high school hierarchy. Let's talk about Max. Max, the abs. Uh, he is kind of your stereotypical uh, letterman. Um, he's sculpted with his letterman jacket on. He's got his baseball bat over his shoulder. Uh, he's... He's tough. Um, he has that bat in the game, so he can actually have a little bit more of a chance of, of driving off the killer. Um, and his special ability is called Baby Blues. So when he activates uh, once per turn, he can have a female character uh, within his awareness uh, take a free move action directly towards him. So he can lure him in with those Baby Blues. Awesome. And if we're talking female characters in a horror movie, you know you have to have a cheerleader. Tell us about the cheerleader. So our, our cheerleader is Alice Grace. She's she's quick on the table. Um, she's always there to cheer you on, and she gives people uh, an encouragement bonus. Uh, and she has her megaphone, so she's able to cheer people on uh, from even further than than she normally could. Not much of a fighter. Uh, she's all right at, at, at 
investigating and helping out, but mostly she's there to, to cheer people on. Now, where in my high school, the cheerleaders were often the mean girl. The mean girl was actually another character in this game. <laughs> yes. So um, we have Denise DeGraw, who's our bad girl. Brilliant. Um, she is not, not much of a fighter. Uh, she really isn't that observant. She's not really looking any further than what she can see in her own makeup compact. Mm-hmm. Uh, her ability is debutante. So if she is engaged with the killer and base-to-base with the killer, um, she could actually swap places with a male character nearby and have them uh, heroically take the brunt for her. Uh, and she also has access to Daddy's phone, which allows her to call in supporting characters, which are, are really good at um, removing fright tokens nearby and temporarily distracting the killer so that the, the kids can get away. So so she can cool. call daddy or her or her driver or maybe the police or a ranger. Well, I'm glad you said ranger because that's our next character. Not all of the heroes in this box are teenagers. Yes. So we have uh, Ranger Sandy is the only adult. So the, the characters in this game are actually they have a keyword teen or um, or adult. And Ranger Sandy is the first adult. Um, she's been around the Northwoods. Uh, she's, she's pretty tough. Um, she's seen a lot. She's heard a lot. She's survived a lot. Um, and she, her ability get behind me again, allows her to, to, to distract the killer and pull, pull the killer towards her, um, while the kids can get away. And she also has her service revolver, which allows her to make a small number of ranged attacks before she runs out of ammo. And dies heroically. <laughs> I love how she's the uh, the anti-debutante. Uh, whereas the debutante says, get out of the way, I'm going to save myself. She's the one who goes to save other people. Now, she d- she yeah. is packing heat. You did mention that she has a couple of shots before she runs out. But she's not the only character with a gun, is she? She is not. We have, uh, we have Harold Gibson, who's our tough-as-nails character, mm-hmm. um, where most of these kids grow up and have grow or are growing up uh kind of in the suburbs the suburbs of northwood um gibson has uh grown up kind of on the other side of the tracks um he's lived a tough life uh he doesn't doesn't take crap from anybody uh and he does indeed have his shotgun that he hides behind the seat in his truck and he uh he is tough as nails so um, takes a lot to scare him. He has a higher fright value than any of the other characters, which means he's affected less by terror, um, and it takes him a lot longer to fall victim um, to terror than the other characters. Uh, and he has hard as nails or tough as nails, I mean, as his ability, which means that he gets to ignore um, a jump scare or the first jump scare that happens um, in proximity to him. And then he is armed with his shotgun. He gets two shots with it, but they are brutal. Nice. Oh, just like they would be in, uh, in a movie. Well, let's, uh, with that though, I'm, you're expecting, you know, you might be thinking, well, I get to play the same six characters every time I ever play. Now, Brad, you're talking about the replayability of the missions. If you're playing the same six characters every time, how does that really add? I mean, you're, you're playing the same army every time. But that isn't the case here, is it? You have, you're only using four of the six and different combinations 
really do interact differently because, as you say, each character has their own set of special rules. And when they start to interact on the tabletop, that can really lead to some really interesting and complex uh, tactics if you're working both collectively or if you're, you know, trying to push someone else in the way of the killer so you can survive, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, so at the beginning of the game, you you pick four four of the six randomly. Uh, and as you were saying, that the interactions are very different. So you might find that having um, Alice the cheerleader and Max the abs is, is a really great combo. Uh, they play off of each other really well. Um, but then maybe the next game, you only get one of them or you don't get either of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and as the game goes on, I mean, we're definitely uh, going to be releasing uh, additional characters that you can play that follow different tropes. Um, might even be kind of different versions of characters that already that already exist, and that the randomness of it allows you to, you know, create these new kind of combos and interactions um, and create very different scenes in the game within the same scenario, even if you played the same one two or three times in a row. Nice. Yeah. I I was going to ask, my next question was, were there characters that ended up pun intended on the cutting room floor? Um, or are those, are those up your sleeve for later? So there, there were, um, so there are six characters in the base game and there were actually 12 initially. And I think I've made, probably i mean not that all of them will ever see the light of day right uh but there's i think about another 12 characters so there's yes there's about another 18 um that that haven't really been seen yet cool well we've we've kind of hit on a lot of the the cool parts about this game but if we're talking about horror movies uh cinematically represented on a tabletop i think we can't go past one of the cooler mechanics in the game which is, of course, the jump scare. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about how you took this trope and really made it one of the key mechanics uh, when you are traveling between rooms on the inside? Of course, when you're outside, it's a different matter, but going from room to room in an old scary house, you, you, there's some scary parts, right? Yeah, so um, again, in, in the initial part of it, when I wanted to capture the atmosphere, uh, we knew that we wanted to have that element of these of these kind of tropey jump scares that occur in the movies. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to have that represented on the tabletop in a way that um, and this is sort of a theme for the whole game is that you can you can play it in a very tropey fashion or you can really kind of place it into um, like a more serious horror experience. And we wanted the jump scares to be able to come off as either. If you're having fun with it and want to joke around about it, they are funny. Uh, and if you want it to be more of a serious survival experience, then you can easily work them into your scene uh, or your turn um, as something a bit more serious. But just gathered all the ones that you kind of see a lot, shadows moving in the corner, somebody coming up and tapping you on the shoulder, um, hearing strange noises, whether it's in the woods or in you know, your creaky old farmhouse. Um, and the first time a character moves through a doorway each turn, you can roll, you roll on this jump scare table um, and it can do things, like I said, it could, it could um, be nothing more than, you know, the character laughs it off, there's nothing there and they remove a point of terror uh, or out of the shadow, there's the killer. 
You weren't mm-hmm. expecting him. He wasn't even on the board yet. Uh, but <laughs> there he is, coming out of the closet, under the bed, literally stepping out of a shadow in your face. Um, my, I think my favorite one is Tap on the Shoulder, uh, which moves a character within so many inches of the, the character like the jump scare and puts them into base-to-base right behind them. Um, and that can, you know, cinematically, I really like that, but it also can either be really helpful or really hinder you depending on where you are in a plot and where you are on the table. You know, somebody's trying to run away with something important. Then all of a sudden they're, they've apparently run back to the house to, to get their friend and take them with them. Whereas they were almost to the objective in the old woods and all of a sudden they're back where they shouldn't be. Yes. Yep. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Yeah. My favorite is flickering lights and you go, Ooh, Cause that is, of course, one of those things where you watch, oh yeah, flickering lights, Mm -hmm. straight out of the movies. Matt, one of the things that I've noticed from your streams is that this game, I mean, literally is created to be, I mean, it is the, it is almost the ultimate narrative game. It's very cinematic um, to the point where you guys even have in the rule book that things can, you can lean into bending the rules a little bit if it makes for a better gaming experience. Um, I mean, that is not something you often see a game designer say, but I think that's because this isn't a hardcore competitive game. This is a game that you really can just sit down and enjoy with your friends. Um, Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Because I think that really does get into the core of how Don't Look Back works. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So one of the things that that was really important for us uh, designing the game and working on it was this idea that you are creating moments on the tabletop uh, that you enjoy uh, within the rules of the game. Um, But it's written in the back of the book. And one of the things that's really important to us is that we want you to find these moments that you've created with your playing solo or with your friends that you enjoy, whether you have finished the whole game uh, or you've only been able to play a few turns before you've had to clean it up. Right. put it away and that you, that you want to come back to either revisit that uh, or, or just talk about it with your friends later. And we have this thing called rule of cinema, which basically is the golden rule of the game that says it's like the rule of cool. Uh, If, if rules don't interact in a way that that's, that's clear for that specific moment, do what's going to make the best scene for you. Uh, If your killer is going to be targeting somebody, but, for that moment, that scene for the story that's developing, and you want them to target somebody else, go for it. Um, nice. The whole game is designed to be kind of like uh, layers or wraps almost. Like we want the rules to be, and they, they are written in a way that you can put them onto different things. So terrain rules, apply it to what you want. Area terrain doesn't have to just mean a designated outline of trees. Right. It could be this tombstone is now area terrain. When we go by that, there's going to be jump scares because that makes sense or just the well. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you'll see that in the future with some other rules that we're, that we'll be coming out with that'll have their specific moments, but are, are meant to be layered onto your tabletop and your story, how you see fit. I did, I did see that in one of the streams where you had the cheerleader, you know, 
bypass a, a bear trap that was on the lawn right outside the house and hopped up on the well to avoid it and in the process triggered a jump scare where the killer came barreling out of an outhouse at her. And it was just, I was like, this is, yes, horror movie right here brought to you by the game. You roll a couple dice and all of a sudden this situation has occurred and then she had to get herself out of that situation. Now, you, you mentioned there was... Um, you can stop after a couple of turns. I, I want people to understand that this game, though, um, though there is a lot of granularity and a lot of character um, given to the, both the characters and the ways that they interact with the rules uh, and their terrain around them, this isn't necessarily a long game. I've watched quite a few streams uh, researching for this, and I was blown away at the at the, I don't want to say compact because I don't want people to think that it's a fire and forget in half an hour, but it's a nice, clean gaming experience. It, it's not too overly rules heavy. Um, you're using a D20 as your main die in this game, but you're making skill tests where you're trying to roll low and the modifiers just easily add to it. So you're able to very quickly figure out the maths while you're playing and it doesn't bog down. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about how that came to be? Yeah. So, uh, one of the big questions that I get a lot is why did you pick a D 20? I mean, a lot of the things right. we see are often D sixes. Mm -hmm. And I think, uh, for me, one of the beautiful things about being in a, as you say, in your intro, this like Renaissance of gaming, mm -hmm. um, you know, there, that we have, thanks to things like D&D &D and whatever. We have all these polyhedral dice. We have so many dice yes. that allow us to really focus on what the game is. So when you're playing these large-scale battle games, you know, like your, your Warhammer, um, Age of Sigmar, you know, wh whatever it is, mm -hmm. the D6s are nice. You get your handful of dice, you roll, you know, the, the, the numbers and the modifiers are very succinct, and it's great for a large scale. But when you get into to dice of a larger side, like a D10 or a D20, it gives you the opportunity to create um, really individualized characters. Uh, so where the difference between a character who has a combat skill of an 8 versus a 12 uh, is, is huge. Um, and it allows you to create modifiers within the game um, that feel very different. Uh, and the characters feel very different when you're playing. And I think that was just something that was really important to capture uh, with the dice was being able to create these very individualized characters. Uh, the D20, I, I think, plays plays that perfectly. And I think it's really easy for people to grasp the math of it, you know, being a 5% jump or, you know, 2 is a 10%. And modifiers also don't tend to be as swingy on a, on a D20, exactly. unless you want them to be. Having played a lot of games that were using D10s recently, I, I've, I've noticed that practically on the tabletop, that those modifiers, uh, as you say, have less, they're, they're less swingy. You end up with, um, you're able to make a more balanced judgment, maybe because we're used to a base 10 counting system. But for me, you're going, okay, 10%, there's a, that adds another 10%. Oh, I got 30 or 40%. And with the D20, I've never made that connection till what you just said, because a D20 is just twice as many options. So instead of 10% per die facing, it's five. 
So then yeah. you can exactly when you're thinking that, I mean, you still want to have a good time. And you're not wanting to math hammer it out. But you as a game designer, that must give you a lot more opportunities to add uh, modifiers for things. Uh, for example, what either the jump scare table does or what fright tokens do to characters and then how that uh, impacts what happens on the tabletop. Yeah, and it also it also just allows for a greater variation within the characters themselves when you're creating their their skill values. So, like I said, there are another 18 characters. Well, they they all feel very different because it's not just a one to six value for right. each of their their statistics. You can have that variability of a one to a 20, um, and they very quickly feel very different on the yeah. tabletop. Well, just having watched the streams with you know, four to six of those characters at any given moment on the tabletop, um, they feel very different. And that's not even taking into account their special rules. Um, you really do get an individual sense of each character that ties nicely with their backstory, which really does feel cinematic. Well, a second ago, I kind of asked you two, two questions at once. Let's get back to game length. Um, Roughly what size board or should people expect to play this on? Because it isn't a great big playing space. And roughly how much time does it usually take to play? Now, given if you're taking more of the, the role-playing elements in and it is a collaborative game, sometimes if you're playing with four people, it can maybe get a little uh, a little longer. I know that playing different games take different lengths depending on how chatty you get. But ballpark, what size games are we looking at here? Uh, I, about an hour, I would say mm -hmm. it usually takes about an hour. And again, like you, like you touched on, depends on how much of the storytelling you want to do. So like when we play, when something happens, we really like to kind of rewind a little bit and then tell a little story about how Seth tripped on that rock mm -hmm. and then that got Max killed. Um, so the role-playing element of it is, is really big for me. But if you just like, if you and your friends wanted to get together over lunch um, and play, you, you could do it in about an hour once you know the rules for sure. Well, another thing and is the, looking at the streams that you guys have been doing, this is a game that if you have a camera on the tabletop and then you want to play, for example, Zoom, uh, I know a lot of people are doing Zoom gaming. I have a biweekly role-playing session. This game, online I should say, this game works very well for that without having to get into TTS or an online platform. If you have a good webcam that's pointed at the table, you can have one person sort of run the game and then other people will tell that person where they want to go and what they're doing. And you could almost have, you know, one of the players be almost the game master, even though they are still playing um, and the AI runs the game itself. Yeah, and I think... One of the things that you were just you just said how one person is kind of the game master. Um, you could very easily have the person who is physically present with the minis in the terrain, listening to what the the character players want to have happen. They're doing the moving, but then they could also be controlling the killer and making the kind of tie decisions um, and leaving that out of the player's hands if you wanted to. Um, so there's even more of a little bit of an unknown that's happening in there and gives you know, the opportunity even for a fifth person to be playing if you wanted them to. Nice. And of course, if you want to play with just 
two people, which is what I've often seen in your streams. One person can take half the characters, the other person can take the other half, or one person can take all four, and then the other person can be the game master that you were just describing. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Nice. And if you have somebody who's new to gaming, maybe they take one character and you take three, and it gives them an opportunity to sort of digest um, stats and dice um, and, and skills and things like that a little bit more. Exactly. And if your character happens to get killed, which, you know, in this game, probably going to happen, uh, it is still <laughs> an entertaining gaming experience to interact with, even if your character is, quote unquote, you know, pushing up the daisies. Um, you can still laugh and have a good time and see what happened to everyone else. It's not like you're just going to go off, log off or go sit on your phone. This is one of those games that because it is so cinematic and narrative that you want to see how it ends. Yeah, Exactly. And, and again, with the, the division of characters, let's say I'm playing two, you're playing two, and both of mine bite the dust. Well, then, you know, I could take one of yours. There's just a lot of opportunities for players to stay engaged with the game, um, even if their characters do fall victim to the killer in one way or another. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, cool, man. Um, now, you did say that you were talking about Anomaly before. Um, now, Anomaly was the, 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 the early rules for that were being leaked with some very cool and similarly linked uh, Black Site Studios models uh, before Don't Look Back came out. Are, are those characters? Tell us a little bit about those characters and um, their place in the gaming universe, because with so many great miniature agnostic games that exist today, having those models on the website, <clears throat> you may want to order it when you're ordering Don't Look Back. Um, they're definitely worth looking at. And I unfortunately didn't see them until after I'd placed my order. Um, and so I'm going to have to wait till the next time uh, before I grab them. But I can't wait to grab some of these more science fiction-y trope. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about these models? Because you had a hand in sort of their ideas as well, if I understand. Yeah, so uh, they have this great um, line of sci-fi miniatures uh, that they've been adding to pretty much every month. I think they're on wave four at this point mm -hmm. that will be coming out or being previewed soon. Uh, but they have this they have this really cool collection called Space Truckers. Um, so cool. And they they feel very familiar. Uh, if you have if you have seen the the Alien series, mm -hmm. um, and we had we had a fun time. Uh, so they existed actually before Anomaly, before we had started working on that. Oh, nice! Uh, so I didn't it was kind of that. fun to look at not only the space truckers, but then Ben had started sculpting other people that are just like Colonist A, Colonist D. Mm -hmm. uh, and I took a lot of inspiration from those models that he made to create things like engineers and your security patrol, your XO and your captain and your mm -hmm. um, corporation uh, bigwig. You know, it's all that kind of stuff sort of stemmed from the things that he had created already. That's cool. And there's also a couple of characters in there that might look like, oh, synthetic humans on the run. Uh, or the police detective that's hunting them. Uh, there's some very familiar looking characters in that line that are just gorgeous. And for those of yes. us who love movies, gotta get gotta get them. 
Yeah, um, if you want to want to get it on your uh, your sword joggers. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly right. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, I also want to bring up something that I think is really cool. Um, now, a lot of smaller game companies, uh, as they're starting out, often rely heavily on Kickstarter as a way to fund these projects to get them loose. Uh, I know that Blacksite intentionally has gone the other way, and I think that's because they are an established company and they really do um, believe in only using Kickstarters for things that they are absolutely necessary for. I think that's a company philosophy. Um, so one of the cool things is, though this is a brand new game in a brand new gaming company, or at least a brand new gaming wing of an established company, you can buy this game today now. It is, you buy it, it ships to you immediately. Um, now, there was a, a, a lengthy pre-order process, but at this point it is finished, and now you can literally... Go to Blacksite Studios, click on their games, click on Don't Look Back, and buy it today. And you don't have the long waits that are often associated with Kickstarters. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Because I know that was part of the design process. And then I want to talk to you a little bit about how it comes packaged, because it's the coolest packaging ever. But before we get to that... Talk to us about um, how, why you guys sort of avoided Kickstarters and went for the the buy it now option. So um, it's one of the big motivators for that was that, especially with a with a first game, and and I can't speak to this one hundred percent because like we were talking beforehand, I'm not actually a black site employee. Right. Um, I'm just like a little contractling. I live under the stairs and they, <laughs> they feed me tidbits and I write for them. Right. Um, but I, one of the big things that we wanted was for, for a first offering was to get it to people right away so that they can see that, uh, we're serious about what we do. Yeah. And this isn't just a pipe dream that may or, or may not happen. Um, and, Luckily, we had the the ability to kind of get everything together ahead of time. Um, pre-order some, you know, we had the, the pre-order process to sort of kind of nail down some official casting numbers right. and some printing numbers and things like that. But, you know, we wanted everything done ahead of time so that people could see, hey, um, you know, Matt's serious about what he's writing and Blacksite is serious about what they're putting on their on their website and, and putting out the door. Now, I know that um, one of the design philosophies of this game was to keep manufacturing within either in-house or within the United States, largely because uh, not because of any, you know, necessarily flag waving purposes, but because um, it would reduce the amount of um, variability or it would get rid of inconsistencies in time. And I think that is one of the things that often games, especially early game companies, if they don't have a lot of experience in the industry, you know, taking into account where there might be delays and lags, especially when you're shipping things from different countries back to manufacture, then shipping them back out to sell, that's where a lot of lags and delays come from. I think by keeping everything sort of in-house and domestic, you guys have really been able to keep to your timetables pretty t brilliantly given, especially that we've been in the land of COVID and it seems that sh shipping's gotten very slow. Um, how is that factored in? 
I mean, one, one of the things just in general was that we wanted to have products that were made in the United States. Um, and there are some, there are some pieces of it that were unavoidable. You know, we had, we had to get elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was just, it was, it was important again that, uh, we set out to do what we said we were going to do. We are going to ship this, uh, on the 15th and we're going to do everything that we can to do that. And, you know, having a lot of things locally sourced, like you were saying, meant that we were able to keep that time frame. Um, you know, we, we've run into, we ran into a little bit of a delay with, uh, VHS cases, which I'm sure we'll talk about here in a minute. Oh yeah. Um, but you know, uh, there was a train derailed once <laughs> Man. and that was, that was an actual thing. Um, and just, just sourcing those in general, obviously in, in 2020 is, yeah. is not, is not easy. <laughs> well, let's talk about why in God's name you would need a VHS case, uh, for a game in 2020, as you say, no one uses VHS. In fact, I brought a case in to show my class because I teach primary school and the kids were blown away both at the size. And when I described how it worked, they just had never seen this technology. It was like I was a caveman and I was showing them the art on the walls. They just could not believe that this was (laughs) technology and not just like random, like really old technology that was from my lifetime. And it was from, you know, when I was their age, they just could not understand how it worked. I can't imagine trying to find VHS cases these days. Why are you looking for them? And why is that important for the game? Because it's awesome. (laughs) So one of the things that we wanted to do with, um, with don't look back again, it's been all about this foundation of atmosphere. Um, right. And we wanted to ship the, the miniatures in VHS cases, um, to really kind of hold on to that, that eighties and nineties, uh, feel of, of slasher and horror movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we, you know, as we were sort of exploring that for the initial core box, um, it became very clear that it would be, it would be really exciting to do our expansions in VHS cases as well and have another contained product. Um, and as you collect your killer expansions and your hero expansions, um, you build your your VHS collection, mm-hmm. and they all have uh, thematic covers. Um, yeah. The backs have a blurb like a movie would, uh, and then the inside on the character box that comes in the core game, uh, it's lined with foam and has the inserts for the miniatures and your dice and your tokens. And then the expansions have just sort of a foam uh, block inside of them to hold the... Uh, the additional pieces that come in that and all of the rules and scenarios that come in the expansions um, are all on the cardstock that's sized to fit within the, the case as well. So it's all self-contained. That is awesome. Uh, yeah. Just as a kid, and I know I'm not alone when I say this, I know this was a thing because I saw everyone else doing it in the 90s and in the 80s. When you go to the movie store and you're a kid and you know you're not allowed to rent the R-rated movie, but you still go through every action movie and horror movie and everything else movie that looks cool and interesting and has the cool art on the case, 
um, anyway, because, you know, it's there. It's cool. You have time. It's not like, you know, and you know, you can't rent it yet. And the number of times that I've looked at horror movie cases at the front and the back and read it and gone, oh, I want to watch this later. Uh, and then years later, you watch it. And, you know, sometimes they don't necessarily live up to that. But the uh, that that expectation that you had as a kid, but still to lean into that for the game and have, you know, have the cover have the blurb on the back, have it in the actual VHS case is so evocative of when I was a kid and when many other people our age, it's so nostalgic. It's so beautiful. I love it. It's the greatest gaming packaging ever. And the fact that you have, and it, I haven't seen it much on the literature of the game, but it, you, 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 ha, you, your game comes with a figure case hands like point blank. How many games do that? That is awesome. Um, now, you are responsible for this, right? And um, I would like to say, hats off. I take a bow. This is the greatest gaming packaging ever. Thank you. Well, thank, thank you. I mean, and, and for those of, of you listening and, and for you and for me um, who, have, who have had the experience of VHS, uh, opening the case mm -hmm. and clicking it shut is awesome every time yes it's you just get that double click from those teeth mm -hmm. on either side and it's just it's so good mm. it, it feels <laughs> i mean literally i think it, it's because i did spend so long looking at action movie and horror movie cases in video stores but vhs when i think of it as a medium there's a direct mental correlation to the horror movie genre in my head and the fact that you have that you have that as your packaging is just brilliant. So yeah, love well, it. Thank you. One of, one of the other things that I really love about the VHS cases, we've talked a lot about like the role playing and the story and the narrative that goes along with this game. Um, and one of the things that was always really fun for me with VHS cases when I was younger. So my, my foray into gaming was, was role playing dungeons and dragons. Mm -hmm. Um, and what I what I loved to do was go into the video rental store. We had we had a uh, a blockbuster here, mm -hmm. and was to go to the back of the case um, and read the blurbs and kind of use those to to get ideas for uh, the games that I wanted to run, like to get the hook and the idea for an adventure for the characters, um, and it just really resonated with me when we were when we were creating this game was that you know these vhs cases are sort of the the stepping stone the first step into you know the the story and the plot that you're going to play through that's so cool yeah it reminds me of uh going on school camp and uh or being at summer camp i should say in the summer and there was one kid at camp who always had the best ghost stories and you know years later i realized all he had done was either read the back of horror movie cases or had watched horror movies with an older brother or sister and had just been telling us the plot awesome. and, but had been totally like, I made this up. This is my story. And then later <laughs> you go, Hey, wait a minute. Uh, but Hey, good storytelling, right? You know, got get, get the <laughs> that's, seed. That's right? where it's, that's what it's about. <laughs> yeah. Nothing, nothing original in the world, I guess. Yeah. Right. There you go. Now, Matt, I, I know we still have a couple more minutes, but uh, there's a couple of things as we wrap up that I absolutely want to talk about. Now, I have been accused by many listeners, uh, you, yes, you listener right there, you listening to this podcast right now, 
uh, I have been told by many people that they have been a, and I quote the listener who has messaged me, uh, they have been a victim of me talking about how good a game is, and then they've gone out and bought it, and you know, usually had a great time with it. Thank you uh, for, A, thank you for listening, and B, I'm glad that you're enjoying. Um, but I often reply back that I'm the biggest victim of this show because I love the games that I talk about. But oftentimes, it is a rare day when I come... Uh, by the way, this request, this episode was a request of a listener, and um, I was very excited when he told me about this game. I was like, oh yeah, cool, 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 okay. But I was like, yeah, okay, you know, it's in the U.S. Um, Christmas is coming, got to save my pennies, got to be a good boy, you know, moving house. And then this is one of those rare eggs that as I did the research... And I think it has largely to do with um, both the great website that you've set up that really does lay out the game beautifully, but then also all of the streams where you've played the games. Um, I, I went out and bought it. Uh, I'm excited. And you can probably hear what the questions I'm asking today, guys, because I'm running my questions into one another because I'm so damn excited about this game coming. And a game, this is a game that I can get my wife who is a massive horror fan and not a massive gaming fan, to play. Uh, I'm so excited. Matt, thank you so much for putting all the hard work into the streams. Um, if you guys go to YouTube and you type in Don't Look Back Black Side Studios or maybe just Don't Look Back, you guys have not only done a series of videos laying out the turns, um, short, sharp videos that explain everything with beautiful graphics, very clear very easy to pick up. But then there are six or seven, I know you're, you're still recording these um, and putting them out, but actual full games that people can watch. And what I love is, and I think you're gonna talk about this possibly in a second, is that you run them raw. It's when things go horribly wrong, that's what the game does and you still show that. It's not all puppy dogs and rainbows at the end. It can go terribly wrong. But that's still part of the fun, right? Yes, yes. And and um, I have to give Connor uh, all the credit for this, the streams. He is so, and, and Ben too, I mean, when it comes to the sculpting side of things and, and what Ben lays his hands on and Connor, they are so passionate about what they do. I mean, obviously they're a business, but their level of commitment and passion to the things that they create for us on the other side of it mm -hmm. um, is evident in everything that they do. And Connor, Connor set up that stream room. He took a room in his house, uh, painted it, built that table, built the runners. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's incredible what he put together. It is um, awesome. But one of the things that we wanted to make sure that we did with the streams is that, that people watching it get to see the game. Um, we could have easily edited things or put together prefab videos where everything plays a certain way. Mm -hmm. um, but we wanted you to see what happens when you roll a one or I'm sorry, a 10 on the first turn and, and the, the killer shows up early mm -hmm. or your characters start dying or the terror starts building up and you're having a hard time mitigating that. Um, we, we wanted people to see all aspects of it. Um, there are things that we've left out rules we haven't used intentionally because we wanted there to be some fun things for people to find when they 
dive into the rule book, mm-hmm. but you, you get to see the game the way that it is. And one of the things that I'm really proud of is that we were able to make a game that I feel like whether it goes south from the beginning and you don't survive the plot um, or you make it to the end and you're a character or some characters survive that the game stands on its two legs and you feel like you've had a fun experience um, and you're laughing with your friends and you have these, these cinematic moments that, you know, you want to talk about or recreate again. Yeah, that is brilliant. Um, well, let's, let's talk about where people can find this. Um, if you go to black site studios, that's site S I T E studios.com black site studios you can go to uh it's of course they make all sorts of great terrain and as we were talking about before some rad sci-fi models but then if you go to their the tab if you go to their menu go to the tab for games you can find don't look back and there are two options can you tell us what uh, people's two options are to buy the game because there will be more coming later but at this point there are two packages yes so we have on offer we have a core bundle and we have a, uh, a Founders Edition bundle. And the core bundle comes with, um, comes with your cabin, comes with your killer and your miniatures, rules, uh, dice, the scatter terrain. Um, and also one of the things that, that I think is really cool is we have a, uh, a kitchen knife measuring stick. I'm glad you brought um, that up. Yes. That comes in there. Uh, and then the Founders Edition is that core bundle, but it also comes with uh, our first two expansions, which is um, our Boxcar Willie uh, and our Aliens. So we have um, Attack on the Line and Attack of the Greys, uh, which are our first two, first two expansions. In the VHS cases themselves. In the VHS cases themselves. Oh, the core bundle... Uh, the characters do come in one as well. So you get that in the Founders Edition too, but uh, the characters in both of them come in their own special case with cutouts. Now, it would be really easy to to let you go with saying the scattered terrain, and I know I said it earlier, but I want to unpack this a little bit more. You get the sort of uh, dilapidated fences that you would find outside of an old uh, cabin in the woods. You get the cabin itself, and when I say that, I don't mean like a little log cabin. Remember, it is like seven rooms, full rooms in the basement or on the ground floor. Then you have your attic, and both the the top floor comes off, and then the roof sections come off in sections. Uh, it is a beautiful multicolored building, pre-painted. Of course, as as Matt said, you can add more detail but it is right out the bat you can assemble it and just play as is and it looks good i've seen it on their stream with no additional painting but you also get a like a shed slash outhouse you get the well which is of course in one of the missions and i will leave that ominously there and you get the the either the storm cellar entrance or the hurricane cellar entrance, the tornado uh, shelter that looks like the one straight out of my grandma's farm, um, which is creepy <laughs> yep. as hell. Uh, and all of that comes as part of the core game, as well as the multi-part killer and the six heroes slash victims that need to survive. You also get counters, you get dice, and the rule book, and it is cool. And as I said before, how many games come with a figure case for the figures that come with it? Not too many. So, yeah, and that's all part of one package. 
Uh, very excited. So, guys, check that out. Um, the pre-orders went out on the 15th, but the game releases for real on Halloween or the week of Halloween. So by the time you are hearing this, um, if you order it, you will be able to get your copy soon. And it, they are being shipped USPS Express. At least they are to Australia. So I know that um, through the Facebook page, people were posting how excited they were about their box getting in the mail. And then literally the next day, I was watching them as they were posting pictures and videos of them opening said boxes. Not that I'm jealous at all. But... <laughs> Shipping's quick. You don't have to wait half a year to 12 months for this. You can buy it, you can get it, and you can be playing at Halloween-ish time too. Matt, thank you so much for coming on today. This has been an absolute pleasure, and I cannot wait to play Don't Look Back. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. It's been a great time. Oh, man. Oh, and I do want to say one thing. In the initial run of this game, you guys are doing the coolest Willy Wonka promotion ever. Yes. Um, so you did yes. mention that the measuring stick isn't some cheap whippy stick that, you know, you whip your friends with when you're playing. The measuring stick is the the butcher's knife, the, the kitchen knife straight out of all the horror movies. And it is, of course... Um, MDF. It is multicolor. It looks fantastic, but one game has a slightly different knife, doesn't it? Yes, it does. One of one of them out there currently has the golden knife, um, and we we really don't know where it, where it's going. It, it was made. It's beautiful. It was thrown into one box, which then got mixed into many others, uh, and we'll have a a label slapped on it and sent out somewhere in the world um, and it has some special instructions in there as well uh, if you're to get it. And you can you can claim uh, a pretty sweet prize if you are able to pull the golden knife. Oh, that is so rad, man. It is, <laughs> as I said, man, the game itself looks amazing, but it's all the little touches, the little details that you guys have put into this that have just absolutely sold me on... Uh, you as a gaming company and as, you know, this game, man, I can't wait to play it. Uh, so good. Matt, thank you so much again for coming on. Where can people find you uh, and more information about this game? Oh, well, well, first, thank you for having me on. Um, it's been a pleasure. It's always fun to talk about gaming. Uh, so you can find... Uh, the game and information about it on the uh, www.blacksitestudio.com website. Uh, but I also have my own Twitch channel mm -hmm. um, where I like to paint and put together terrain and we talk game design and, you know, just hang out usually a couple times a week. And that's at uh, Dark Harbor Gaming on Twitch TV. Great name. Cool. Well, guys, as I said, this is a... This is this episode is literally because of a fan request. Matt Ballard, thank you very much for the great idea. You've got me for once, and now I've gone and bought another game because you told me about it. Um, guys, 
if if there is something you want cast dice to cover if you have questions about this particular game um i if you send them to me either i can answer them once i got the game in front of me or i can send you matt's way uh, i'm happy to answer any questions about anything that you guys might have any sneers jeers abuses slash um, anything positive that y'all would like to say if you go to cast dice on facebook that's c-a-s-t-d-i-c-e uh if you ask any questions or send any funny memes that way you know i love them and you are guaranteed a response um that's c-a-s-t-d-i-c-e my name is brad hi if you message that page you will hear from me uh but guys uh in these crazy uncertain times as our good buddy casey always says when you are playing the games that we know and love i hope your dice roll hot I hope your beverages are cold, but more than anything else, we at Cast Ice hope that you are having fun. Ladies and gentlemen, stay safe out there. Good night. I'm gonna